Hello and welcome to the Track and Food Podcast. I'm your host today, Jamie Ma, and you are listening to episode 13 today. Mick, how are you? I'm good. That's number Mick- 13. <laughs> That's Mickey McLeod uh, sitting with me as always. Um, Still not saying yo. No, yes. Even though I like when Stick you say yo. Stick to my guns. Yeah. Uh, I'll bring it back at some point, but... Not today. Not today. Okay. As a tease for the listeners <laughs> to keep listening. Perfect. <laughs> Well, welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us once again. If you've listened to some of our past episodes, this podcast, we'd like to talk about food, culture, and the things that surround them. We are based in Vancouver. Today, we brought on another handsome and handsome guest that we'd like to... Is handsome a good word? We only have handsome guests on the show. Yeah. <laughs> handsome is a word, yeah. Did you ask me if handsome was a word? I don't know. Okay. A, no, it is a word. I know it's a word, but I don't okay. know if it's like the appropriate word that I should be using. But anyways, his name is Jeff Coop. He's a chef here in Vancouver. We brought him on to talk about his career, his life working in the industry in the back of the house, which we are deeply uh, curious about. And Well, yeah, because I think Bruce is the only... Uh, he's the only chef we've had on so far. The only we've, actual chef is, we've had on. This has been so. a very much of a front of house uh, dominated yeah, podcast. Too so much far. cocktail talk, man. <laughs> Boo. I yeah, know, right? Yeah. Exactly. We need some of those guys <laughs> who make that delicious food. So Jeff is here to talk about his life working in restaurants, some of the things he likes about those and things he doesn't like maybe. And then we're going to talk about maybe a little bit of current events afterwards. And hopefully we don't say too much shit about Jeff Bezos. Um, but we'll talk more oh, about... Oh, do you mean the devil? Yeah, the devil. Oh, sorry. You know, he's, do you know he's worth like close to $170 billion? No, he just... Uh, and Amazon just passed $1 trillion. They just the passed one trillion too? I thought it was just Apple. in the history of mankind. No, I thought Apple is the first one that just passed a trillion. Amazon. Okay, whatever. Fact check me if I'm wrong, people yeah, listening. I think you're wrong. You think so, I'm wrong? I think you're wrong. Ah, fuck. Whatever. Send an email to trackandfoodpod.gmail.com. <laughs> you forget your own email? And send it with an animal gift too, because I'm really bored all the time. So Okay. By the way, since the last time we did a podcast, Mick has been spending a lot of time trying to do some animation and do a lot of logo work. Um, I'm a graphic designer now. Yeah, exactly. So so uh, there's going to be some good stuff coming up our, coming up our way. We're going to be hopefully launching a, possibly a new logo. And pins, some t-shirts. Pins, some t-shirts. So look for those things. And... Probably a meet and greet party in yes, the fall. Yes, where we're going to be giving important. away a lot of free beer, which I think is something. And if you don't like beer, we'll give away a lot of free water. So, um, But we're going to be hopefully throwing a party sometime soon, and we're excited to do that. We're rambling. <laughs> By <laughs> the way, how far along are you in that book? I've read the introduction. Oh my God, you're the worst. So, you're did, almost done it, right? Yeah, you're almost done it, but like you had a bit more open schedule this week. I had a bit of a full plate. Really? I, I have a schedule? whole like 20 days to read it. I went to Skookum. Did you go to Skookum? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Jeff went to a wedding and I'm pretty sure if I give him the book, he probably would have read a little bit. I will have my homework completed on time. So okay. Don't worry. So you better have it. We don't want to let our listeners down. So Jeff, so, so to include you on this one, we are starting a new addition to our podcast. We're going to be talking about books that are in the food and culture realm. And we're going to each read one book or read the same book each month. And then we're going to talk about it on a following podcast. First book we picked, and you actually probably have some information on this, is Kitchen Confidential. Mm-hmm. So the Anthony Bourdain book. I'm about halfway done it. It is fantastic. I can see why he it made him so popular. I'm I'm assuming you're probably a fan. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a classic. Yeah. That was the first um, cool, you know, full length novel like about cooking that. I had read and a whole bunch of other cooks had read. I mean, people, people read that book that that's, that's probably the only book they've read in their entire life <laughs> in the kitchen. Um, is that a book? Okay. So I've, Wait, having, when, did it, when did it come out? It came out in 2000. So oh, okay. I'm not going to lie. Literally by the time you get to page 26, I got to that page. I read those last three paragraphs 
uh, that are on page 26. And I was like, okay, I see why people love this guy. Yeah, it's, like it, it's pure entertainment. It's so entertaining. He's so open and like he's doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I mean, I, if for when you read that, do you feel like, okay, I understand this as working, having worked in kitchens for as many years as you have? Like, is that kind of, does he, does he embellish too much of the kitchen life or is it? He, he exaggerates, but, but who knows, who knows about the facts? I'm sure that the stories are true, but he's a storyteller, yeah. you know? And so he's going to make the stories as good as they can be. And I think I, I related and perhaps admired him more as a younger cook when I was, you know, living a lifestyle close to some of the kind of pirate-like cooks that he described in the book. And, oh, yeah. and you know, I think that was that was just very inspiring at the time. Well, because, like, the way he comes across <laughs> is, like, I, the first thing that it made me, that it reminded me of when I was reading this was, like, holy shit, he reminds me of myself when I was 22. Uh-huh. Like, well, the way he writes the book and the way he tells the story, it reminds me of, like, when you're a young man and you're just, like, looking for yourself and you're trying to figure yourself and you're, like, all you're looking to do is just, like, have fun, party, and get laid. That's yeah. all he makes it seem like is like you're in this world, in this netherland of cooking and restaurant culture. And that's you're around all these hot servers and you're all, you know, you're working, you know, you're making all this great food and people just like love you. And then you go for drinks every night and you party. And he's like talking about like cocaine and doing all these like party. You know, it's just like he makes it seem like you're like Keith Richards. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. it, like pirate is actually a really good word that you're using there. And it's just like when I was as I'm reading this book, I'm just like, A, this sounds like a lot of fun. And then B, as you say, as you get older, you realize like. You, this is total bullshit too. Well, we got to grow up sometime. Yeah, we got to grow yeah. up sometime. Yeah, I mean, you only get one body. <laughs> along with like Marco Pierre White in the UK. Yeah, and who he's he's basically the one who like uh, Marco Pierre White was a mentor to Gordon Ramsay. I think that's I think, right. I think Ramsay worked with him. But you know, like on the other side of the, the ocean there, and like a few years earlier, he was also like an established alternative sort of rock star you know kind of voice in the kitchen that like they'd never seen before or you know and, and he he popularized it and just made yeah made cooking cool in the uk when before that it was tall white hats and you know names on the jackets and you know this kind of old stuffy stuffy yeah this, and he, he still had stuffy dining rooms like don't get me wrong like he like <laughs> harvey's to me like you could check it out on, on youtube and stuff like that was a that was a stuffy restaurant for sure but he was a he he didn't have that kind of stuffiness to him he was like very much like uh an outlier so when you so how long have you been working as a chef how many years have you been in the kitchen uh i mean nami's was like my first head chef job Prior to that, I had uh, three sous chef jobs. And then uh, prior to that, I'd been cooking since I was like 16, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, it's been about 14 years total in the kitchen. Okay. Did you always want to kind of get into cooking? Is that something that you were always like? No, I mean, like I fell into it like a lot of people. I think I needed a job for to pay for my skateboards and my shoes that I kept destroying as a skateboarder. And uh, so I started dishwashing and, and, you know, I was at, uh, at Earl's. I grew up in, in White Rock. So I was at the Earl's in White Rock. And I feel like every person, I think we've talked about this. Com- I think every on this show, everyone had their start at either Earl's Cactus Club or. Or Joey's. No, I think just Earl's or Cactus or Moxie's. Club. I worked at Earl's. Uh, that was the first one for me. Or yeah. McDonald's. Mc- yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a great, like entry level kind of opportunity and then they'll, they'll show you the business and they'll show you how to work on the line. And so that's what they did. I dishwashed for about a year total and then I, I got promoted to salads, 
which was kind of a big deal because normally you got promoted to uh, appetizers. And oh, you so skipped Appies. I skipped Appies, and it turned out to be not such a good idea. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. I had no discipline. I made the salads wrong. Like I made a lot of mistakes every night, and uh, and eventually I got demoted. So I got back to the dish pit. Yeah. The walker, walk of shame. I was in the dish pit again for another, I think like six months. They gave me another shot. And this time they moved me up to appetizers. Were you a a recluse in your early twenties? Is that what we're hearing here? So Um, I was, I don't know if I demonstrated (laughs) that recklessness, uh, on the salad station, it was more like I I just didn't have the, dis, the, the, the discipline, the discipline and like when like people you know would make me laugh and stuff like the other cooks and like I thought I didn't understand like that it wasn't so much about like socializing and, like, but I really didn't like I, I didn't understand what like a job was really about. Um, it's like, come on, Jeff, you're here to work. Yeah, yeah and so. I'm like, well, these guys keep like making me laugh and like joking around. These guys, <laughs> like, these guys keep punching me in the dick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't want to be rude. What's that game? <laughs> so what was okay so what would what would you say was there an, a moment that you were like okay this is something i really like to do and i want to like sure there was sure there was so at earl's there after about two years i was like doing the call finish station which is like essentially running the the service and i was like like 17 like, like everyone there was so young and so you're like running this whole service and it was just like so exhilarating and and just like that feeling i guess was like what what kind of kept me in the in professional kitchens but you know i i, I hopped around to a, a couple of restaurants after that like um smaller like independent restaurants and you know i i guess you know where it really changed for me was i was at quattro on fourth in vancouver which is now closed but it's like a very good like italian restaurant and I remember that place. The, you know quattro? yeah i remember that place yeah. where was that would you say it was in kits it was on yeah it was in kits it was like on on fourth like and close Trafalgar. To yeah close Closer to Denman, okay. maybe. Yeah, that's before my time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so while I was there, I was like doing um, these little like I started doing these dinners at my apartment. I had this like tiny little apartment, like in East Van. I'd, like I started inviting people over on Tuesdays, largely because I was like kind of lonely and just like wanted like an excuse to have my friends over. And so I would get people to pitch in like five dollars, and I would do like I would do like salmon and like like yogurt dill sauce and like roasted vegetables like straight out of like like a wedding menu like <laughs> at like a golf course right because and, and and people would love it and they'd be like Five oh bucks, this is great yeah. yeah and then like we'd like like start drinking there and then like we'd go out to some show after so it was like that became like the thing that i would do you know people would like know that i would have these i i think facebook like just came out so i would like i started like a facebook group and i created this sort of like supper club so that became like an outlet that was unexpected. I, I, I wasn't skateboarding anymore. So like I was a creative person and like I, I, I wanted an outlet. And so when I was at Quattro, like the, the chef there, his name was uh, Bradford Ellis. And so he, he like was more than willing to like answer my like stupid questions about cooking. And like, he was like a, a really good chef and I had worked for like, you know, good chefs before, but he was like very knowledgeable and like very helpful. And like, I would just like ask him questions about like demi glaze, or I would ask him questions about like how to butcher meat, and he was like always there. 
And I, I guess like that was kind of when I, I started like that passionate part of cooking that you hear about, like that started to like actually happen. Where, so like basically what you're saying is like the kind of the curiosity thing, the kind of like you're starting to want to know more and get better. In the- well, I was creating my own menus for the first time yeah. from the beginning to the end. And like it gave me an opportunity to like make desserts and stuff like that, which I'd never done before. And I started just like cooking the kind of food that I wanted to cook because I was interested in it. And having a chef with that kind of level of expertise, like meant that I didn't have to not know something <laughs> that I wanted to know. So that was like really empowering. So would you say that he was probably one of your first mentors, kind of? Yeah, I would say that. I, I mean, I hesitate to say that because my time there like was pretty brief. Like I was there for, I think, just under a year. Yeah. Okay. After that, did you do any traveling or have you always stayed in Vancouver and done a lot of your cooking here? Like, I first met you a couple of years ago when you, when you, before you started working at Mammy Taylor's. But I think you were in Australia for a bit there. That's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I spent one year in Australia. One year in Australia? Uh, Quattro was the main one. I hopped around, you know, like I, I was just trying to find my place here, I guess. I, I worked at a Yaletown Brewing Company for a few months. I worked at uh, like an Irish pub for a couple months. I worked at an Indian restaurant, believe it or not, for a couple months. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I didn't really know because like, I, I didn't really know like what my path was supposed to look like. And like without a mentor, it's like hard to like figure out like what you what are like what what am I capable of like yeah. where where should I be like what am I interested in like I didn't even really know like what kind of cooking I was interested in yeah. so yeah so I, I kind of hopped around quite a bit in that time is that like because like I think you Mick you and I can probably talk about this one as well is like in your 20s especially in your early 20s it's like if you're working in hospitality it's like the time in your life where you're probably looking to just kind of hang out with your buddies make a little bit of money pay your rent you know you probably live in a couple of roommates you're probably not sure if this is something you want to do long term. Maybe you're still considering maybe going to school, but you're still really interested in the industry. Mm-hmm. And there's usually like one or two things that really kind of either keeps you in or that keeps you kind of motivated to say thing. I don't know if that's the same thing for you. That was kind of how yeah. it was for me. Yeah, well, you mentioned having someone, you hesitated to use the word mentor, but having someone t- super, super knowledgeable in mm-hmm. your pocket to be able to like feed that sort of curiosity and knowledge thirst that you need, especially in cooking where, you know, it's such an intricate skill to get to like your basic line cook to like doing like really, really like top quality type of food preparation and food execution. And even in the bar scene as well, having someone there to answer your questions is like a huge, a huge stepping stone. Yeah. And it's have. usually, and it's usually like once you get that one person who really kind of gives you that open, you know, kind of yeah. opens the door for you and kind of shows you some of those little tricks and gives you kind of, like yeah. Some and like, insight. you know, speaking to your point about a fun environment to work in, I mean, we all know, and I think everyone listening to this podcast knows how, fucking fun the restaurants are to work in and kind of the reason we all kind of get into it but to take that next step to get to you doing it as a profession to make money as a career you definitely need those certain influences but yeah i think uh i don't know that's why i got into it that's the same thing i started washing dishes for earls in richmond when i was 16 mm-hmm. yeah so no sorry 18 how long did you <laughs> wash dishes? how long did you wash dishes for uh same thing i was there for six months and then they bumped me up to apps Straight to apps, not the salads, though. Yeah. I don't think I could have handled salads. Is it, hard to, is, it, <laughs> is it hard to wash dishes for six months? I I, it's just, it's organization, really. That's yeah. all it is. I love it. I mean, you got to have the kind it's of personality that can, that likes to zone out and like lose yourself in your work, yeah. which I <laughs> Even when I was a manager do. working in any management position I've ever worked at, you, you like to sort of multifaceted. You're a food runner. You're, you know, you're also doing, you know host this stuff but why my like 20 minutes of zen alone time would be like, clearing the pit when i worked to sandwich peppers and like you said you zone out you organize everything the plates are all stacked perfectly and it's like a feeling of like don't you think that's something calmness that, 
It's, it's like folding laundry or like organizing your whatever. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is actually I was watching, I don't know, I was watching something and they were talking about this idea of like polit- political correctness. Uh-huh. Do you think the term the pit is something that maybe should be like reexamined a little bit? Like <laughs> the idea that you're like, you're like looking at you someone's like dish pig? Yeah, or dish pig or working in a pit. <laughs> dish pig, definitely. That's a little more offensive the than pit, the, the pit. I would argue no, needs I mean, to stay. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, if you're like, you know, where, where are you working? You're working in the pit. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's like, it's like degrading the person who works in that position. It's also like, you're the lowest paid person on the, on the phone <laughs> pole and you're like, you're the piece of shit. I remember yeah. when I was, my, I did dishwashing once in my life. I did it for two days at this place called Kelsey's in South Doom. Uh-huh. My first shift, the other dishwasher didn't fucking show up. So I had to get, I got rocked by myself. Didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I started at 530. I was dishwashing until 330 in the morning because I was so backed up. The restaurant closed at 12. But there was so much backup with all the pots and pans and everything and all the kitchen staff and all the servers and everything. I hear them on the other side, like drinking and partying and having fun. It's Friday night. And then one of them comes in the back and they're like, oh, you're still here cleaning? And like she came back and she felt so, so bad for me. She came and helped me out. And then I, wa- I won in the oh, next day. Nice I showed story. up for like five minutes. And then I went to the owner. I was like, fuck this. This job sucks. I was getting paid for like five bucks an hour. Fucking worst job ever. <sighs> what does that say about Jamie's character? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, uh, get out of here. I find like a certain amount of like glory in like doing like a dirty job that no one wants to do like really well. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Just, I, I didn't know that like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you start off in that position, there's no world outside of that. That's like your job. That's how you make money. It's like you accept it, right? You obviously had grander. Um, hey, I'm an elitist fuck. I expect. Okay, so 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 what would we well, you know you're an elitist fuck? What would you rename the pit as then? Um, Just the dishwashing area. Yes, the stewarding zone. Stewarding zone. There we go. I think that's what so, it's called in the hospitality world. Well, that's what it's called in hotels. I know that. That's for sure. It's the office. The stewarding office. Stewarding office. Yeah, because when they and they make them feel so like you know. It's like you're, a, you're, well, an, you're I mean, an equal. You could call it the heart of the restaurant. Yes. Without clean I've dishes and clean I think that's an Earl's term. Yeah. To make dishwashers feel better. Have you ever worked in... The, Jeff, demoted to the heart? <laughs> demoted to yeah. the heart. The heart. Oh, my past feels so much better. <laughs> yeah. Our circulation's not running as good. You need you back. You were like, you were the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever worked for Get back in the pit. Um, I haven't. I've, I've done like kitchen positions where like serving was involved, but... Yeah. Would you ever do it? Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's something like I want to do. Like that's actually like a goal. It's like written down somewhere at home. Like, yeah, I want to, I want to like do it and like learn how to do it well. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you just came from working at our uh, a place that we talk about a lot on this on this podcast. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. <laughs> Hi, Scotty. Hi, Ron. Um, Ron, you better be listening. Yeah, probably isn't. <laughs> probably isn't. <laughs> but you worked there for as the head chef uh, for a year and a half. Uh, two years yeah Yeah. you were just saying before that i didn't know that that was your first head head chef job what is an experience like that feel like going into it for the first time is is it is it nerve-wracking is it scary is it exciting i don't know it's probably all those things but i mean like i mean i've run my own i've run a couple programs like bar programs and i've done those things but i mean running a kitchen i mean that's i feel like that's probably a lot more intricate and a lot more stressful Mm -hmm. is there anything that you want to bring up about that and talk about it well you you touched on something really interesting earlier, and that was the satisfaction of getting through, starting out with a plan, executing it, and getting through a service, which I've talked on a previous podcast about from a managerial front house aspect of that, when you deal with a, a specific issue, or you have a specific scheduling thing, or there was just a problem that you, you as a manager, or as the head chef, or, or leading a team of people, just came through with flying colors. I don't think that gets talked about enough how rewarding 
that feeling can actually be when you're like in charge of a team of people and you, you know, you're liked by them. <laughs> they don't hate you. You know, the numbers are good. Your owners aren't up your ass. Like there is, and I've you know experienced this personally, not in a, a chef role, but in a front of house manager role and a general manager role as well. There is something to be said for that, that feeling of success, I guess, in that realm. And I don't think enough people sort of kind of understand how how rewarding that feeling can actually be. That's why people get into management and get into like, you know, being in charge of a group of people because it is a crazy rewarding feeling. Yeah. I would say, yeah, to all that. Was that something you were aspiring for? Or was that something that... It- yeah. So I think to... Sorry, like, because you had a, a question prior to his, which was like, essentially, like, what was it like to... Be in that position to I guess. be in that position so like i don't know if like the emotions i was feeling was like <laughs> the same as everyone else I, I guess everyone's like a little bit different but i'm sure there's gonna be similarities i, I think like you know you, you don't know what you don't know and i think like you don't you don't really know like what you're capable of until you try to do it right it's like like i said like i worked as a sous chef for for like yeah three different places and you know i I'd always like i was like thought that I was like probably capable of like being the chef, but it's like two chefs and chefs, like depending on where you're at, like they can be like very different positions. And so, like I said, like I didn't know, I didn't know like what I was capable of. I knew like I wasn't like the demanding kind of egotistical, like Gordon Ramsay uh, type controlling type of person. I, I ended <laughs> I ended up finding out I was a lot more controlling than I thought I was and <laughs> made some, made some mistakes. Well, I made lots of mistakes, but yeah, I just, wasn't sure if I was if I could do it. Uh, wasn't sure if I could handle it. I, I, you know, definitely like. What's the one thing you would say you learned most about yourself in that experience? Like that. Oh man, that you were like, holy shit! I didn't know I was capable of doing that, or like, you know, like that was a really, that was a, that was. I'm really glad I learned that, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's like it's it's a good question. A couple things come to mind. You know, like as a chef, like I think you you come into that position thinking you have more responsibility than you actually do. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but there's this feeling when you like take on a leadership position, I think that you now have like the reins in your hands and now it's your job to like, like put your will or whatever on like the team and, and kind of like sail the ship in the direction you want it to go. But really it's not like that, you know, as a chef, like, you know, it's, it's almost like people don't like <laughs> by the time you like get to like be a head chef, like people don't care like how you cook anymore. They care how your cooks cook, you know, that that's, what's important. Like you need, you, your cooks need to need to be putting out food. That's like consistent and delicious every time. And they need to feel like that they work in like, a, you know, they need to be, it's about like building like the team more than it is about like, like your own controlling or like putting your will on it. Like, and exactly your, your exact point we talked about this a couple of times before is people work for you. They, respect is way more important than like a dictator, dictator style, authoritative personality. And yeah. I, I've always thought that in the restaurant business that people respect you, then they will work hard for you. They're not going to respect you if you just you're a barking dog and you like tell do this, do that, do this, and they haven't seen you. And I think sweat I, online with them, or they haven't seen you, you know, go through the shit, or like, or they don't respect you enough to put their best effort forward. I've always, always, always thought that, and I've yeah. seen it from I've seen chefs that don't have the respect of their teams and that do, and the results are like night and day. Well, and I think we've all been in those situations where we've worked for people who are like just the straight up barking dog. Where you're like, like, yeah, dude, like what the fuck hell off, have you get done? off my, get off my back, <laughs> or no, or like, or they, or they, or they probably do know a lot, 
and they're probably very good at what they do and there's probably a reason why they're in their position but they're just too lazy to do that job anymore or they think they're above it now yeah and you know i think i agree with you in that sense it's like you it doesn't matter about me anymore as long as i'm making sure that the team around me is doing their job efficiently yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and getting the results across and like you know i think i think that's yeah like it isn't it isn't obvious that's the case at first because there's this expectation i think through like tv that like the chef is like the most important and it's like and that like they're the ones doing like <laughs> the hardest job and that they're you know they're coming up with these like works of art and and that you know they're the center of attention and it's like the day-to-day -day cooking like what you're actually eating in the restaurant like probably hasn't been touched by the chef in fact there's like very little chance that it has yeah and so like that right there shows you like how important the team around the chef is and the chef's really there i think like in many cases depending and this depends on the um depends on the restaurant like mammy's was small so i was like I, I did cook a lot there and i you know i cook brunch every week and, and all that but you know in large part like the, the chef's there to definitely to make sure like the food's consistent and that it is you know what it's supposed to be and and then it you know the chef's there for like along with the the owner to explain like what the philosophy is like to especially with the with new hires uh, what the vision is what's expected you know, the, you know, the cooks need to know like what they're supposed to do. And, and yeah. And that, the, so that is that when he's talking about like the vision and stuff like this, that actually brings up an idea of a question I was going to ask you anyways, because there's one, I definitely want to get into your head about where do you get your inspiration for food ideas? Is that something just from like reading a lot of books or like, do you like to cook a lot at home or are you really big into like building off other ideas or are you really like, I'm just going to throw things in a pan and see, see, we see what comes out of it or. Because you, and he knows this already, he, he made this pork chop at Mammy's Toilers that I was like literally obsessed with. Oh, is with. that the famous pork chop yes. that I've heard so much about? The one ah. I talked about. But I was like, because it was so damn good. I was like, I literally want to just some days, some days I want to go in there and be like, just give me this recipe so I can learn how to do it. Uh, he's not going to give you the recipe. Well, I know he's not going to give you the recipe. But I mean, like what I'm saying is. And even but, if he did, you probably would But what I'm saying like is it. it probably is a very simple recipe for him to do. It's probably not that you know, crazy. I'm sure you can probably make way crazier food, but I'm just curious about like how you're like, how do you go about creating dishes? Like what's your process? Cause when you like, you've been cooking professionally for 14 years, it's like a whole bunch of things just seem like really like obvious to you that yeah. I guess like took 14 years to like get to, yeah. which is like, yeah, the flavors just make sense. And then putting together with like the savory bread pudding or the, what do we do for that? It was like a mushroom. Yeah. Kind of like a mushroom stuffing. Right. And then yeah. we like, yeah, we fried it in butter. Cause we, I just tried it once. and I was like, Oh, it tastes better. So, yeah, I mean, it's a pork chop with stuffing and vegetables with, like, uh, apple and... Um, I'm so I'm so Saskatchewan. So it's, like, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something to be said for simple taste, man. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I think I, I worked at, like, a the place called, like, Washington Avenue Grill in, in White Rock for a year. And they had this, like, pork tenderloin with a... Uh, it was... They, they had, like, a sauce that was made with, like, apple mushrooms and bacon, I think. Right? So it was, like, that was just, like, I loved it. And so whatever that was 10 years later 12 years later actually uh, yeah we've got a pork chop on the menu with a is there, a, sauce. Is there a dish that you've created that you're like holy shit i can't believe i made that like, <laughs> you're just, like super proud of and like even something at home that you're like will always try to recreate if if i'm honest like the bit the things that are like super exciting is like yeah like when you're playing around with stuff and then like you discover something new you know it's something that you've never had before it's new to you you know because mm -hmm. that can be difficult you know sometimes like you're yeah you're just playing around with like a a sauce and it's just like you really like you're just you're taking a risk you really like don't know how it's going to turn out and then and then yeah it turns out better than you expected and in fact it tastes new and that is that new idea it's that new thing that's like 
continues to be a source of, I guess, excitement and inspiration. What's the most unique flavor or ingredient that you've ever used? Like, what's the one thing that you're like, you've used that you're like, I can't believe I worked with that or like. Oh, God. Because like, the thing is, like, once you've used it, it's not unique anymore. Okay. Right? Well, what's the one thing you were most stoked about what's, trying to What's that? Eat? Okay, so what's that? Um, There's, like, char- they use charcoal now? What is that thing that's, like, really, really big? Because we just got it at the hotel I work at. It's, like... Is you, it a powder? Yeah, powder charcoal. Powder? charcoal. Yeah, what just, the like, make your that? bread black? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is they that use that in Australia all the time. <laughs> I, it's just, like... Honestly, like yeah, it's yeah, ground up vegetable charcoal, I believe, and it's oh my just, god, they, it's just they, a dye. They throw it on. Oh, it's a dye. I wonder if they, I wonder if they use it at Mackenzie Room here in Vancouver because they have the chicken of the sea dish, which is a sea urchin it's pate. It's making its rounds in Vancouver, but it's they have like this yeah. this like bread that you like use on the side, but it's all black. Yeah. So we are drinking tea for everyone listening, and delicious. What tea. I know, thank you. It's a roasted Chinese green tea. And charcoal, what I know about charcoal is that actually it filters out the impurities of water yeah, and, they use and tea. It, they so use you it, put it in to purify the tea before you drink it. It's used in wine too sometimes. It's, it's used in wine, wine as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These trends that I see. So I, I don't know anything about them. So it's good. I, I got the, the, the 401. And I'm too lazy to look it up on Google. Is that why like people are eating charcoal all over the place? Like, I don't know. Someone does something stuff? or it's on, someone writes an article about something or like it's, it's on like Today Show or something. Then all of a sudden yeah. you see it like fucking everywhere. It's yeah. crazy. People see it purifying water and they think that applies to like their bodies. Yeah. So well, we're 90% water. So that logic makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. What are your thoughts on sous vide? My do, thoughts? Yeah. On? Do you like using the sous vide machine? I feel like that's a very trendy thing right now to sous vide everything. I'm not sure. For what? Well, I just feel like sous- everyone's sous vide now. I don't know if that's a. That's uh, a it's a bit, no, it's a bit old hat, Jamie. Is it an old hat? <laughs> What's sous vide? I don't even I know think, what that is. No, sous vide cooking. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that old hat? I feel like it's new hat. I don't know, man. No, that's what I'm saying. We are a front of house. I don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I like, I think like when I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I was like super excited about sous vide for sure. Like I, there's a. Well, like a couple of chefs, I guess, like popularized it a bit, but most chefs I know have like a, a the under pressure book by Thomas Keller, and it's got all the temperatures. It's like it's very comprehensive. It's got all the temperatures. It's got all the different types of proteins and vegetables you can use it, and it kind of like I think opened up a lot of people's minds of like what they can do with sous vide because it wasn't just like cooking beef tenderloin anymore. And so I uh, yeah, I've used it a lot. I think it's got it's got its advantages and and it's got its disadvantages. I love sous vide chicken. I think sous vide chicken is like oh, it's super delicious. So I, bet, good. I love that though. I think they do that at they. I'm assuming they probably do that at uh, Kisitanto with their chicken. Okay. Because it's like so moist. Okay, so I don't. I have no idea what sous vide means. Okay. <laughs> it's like is it like a constant temperature boiling water? Yeah, it means like under vacuum. So, you know, oh, in order to cook sous vide, like... Yes, the yeah. vacuum thing now. Okay. It's all coming together for me How did you not now. know this? I don't know, man. I'm fucking vegan. I don't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's probably a huge reason why. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so another question I'm curious about. Have you ever been a part or ever had to navigate personally or even within your team that you've worked with? Maybe some of the struggles between front house and back house? Because you know, always you always sometimes you hear about this in the industry. The you know the back of house is mad at the front of the house. The front of the house is mad mad at the back of the house. You ever, <laughs> well, I mean, you hear about it, and you and you know, like maybe sometimes you know, like they, have you ever coming from the back of the house perspective? Do you ever look at it from like they don't get us and we you know they don't respect us enough or stuff like this? Or do you, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I feel like this is like a really loaded line of questioning from Jamie. <laughs> I'm not trying to say trying like to elicit a I'm certain say, response. What if, I'm not trying to get him to say like <laughs> fuck the front of house. I hate front of house people. I'm just trying to say is like how do you view your relationship with them? Like is that something is like no? I'm always I'm always curious about that because I I've, I've worked in kitchens where a lot of the 
back they, there's there's struggles there's struggle dynamics between those two. Oh sometimes. yeah absolutely I think that's you know? pretty and yeah. I think it's a lot of it's just absolutely. I think a lot of it's just communication sometimes and I'm always curious about like what sometimes well I mean what I always think is that you know the front of house and back of house should have the same goal you know and, yeah, and the, the goal make, is to yeah make sure the customer has like as good of an experience as possible and so you know oftentimes what I see are miscommunications misunderstandings or like petty yeah, like petty, like outbursts or like basically like avoidable things or, or you know. That's a good point, yeah. Things that can be easily sorted by like just like a quick conversation of like what happened. I, I, and, you know, if that conversation doesn't get happened or there isn't that understanding, then you get this like tendency for like revenge. Okay. And that's where the front of house and back of house like kind of falls apart is when you have these like these issues with food getting rung to the wrong table or you have issues with like cooks losing bills and like forgetting or like, you know, literally forgetting to fire on something. And these are, these are like mistakes that happen every day in, in restaurants. But if they don't get sorted and there isn't like an understanding of like, yes, we're all human and yes, like, and an apology, you know, for like when, when a mistake gets made, like that goes a long way, right? Like an honest apology is like, yeah, sorry, I fucked up. Like, cause you know, it, yeah, without that, it's just like you get this petty sort of like vengeance. And if, yeah, depending on where you're at, there could be a culture from the very, from the top of vengeance. And like, that's, yeah. When you see that happen, it's like, you got to get out of there, man. Because <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's just like a virus. You know what I mean? You got a yeah. general manager, you got a chef that's just like, you know, really thin skinned and petty. That's like, that's well, not good. That's going to spread I think we've quick. all worked in pretty toxic work environments at one point or another. Oh, it's, man, funny, yeah. it's funny you mentioned the accountability thing because I work at a hotel for a hospitality chain, a very popular one. And their new slogan this year for the colleagues was hashtag own it, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. First of all, there's modern enough to use the hashtag thing and then own it being like, you know, if you fuck up, apologize, own it and move on. And that's the only way to like get through those. And I mean, my God, I mean, the, the <laughs> amount of times that I've fucked up in the industry, like, oh yeah. You mean like, last week? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Jamie's I mean, a perfect colleague now. Yes. But I mean, that, but it happens, employee. right? Like you, we all fuck up. We all make mistakes. You all sometimes run the wrong food or you forget to bring it in. And like, I remember one time I took this order at Earl's and I thought it was so cocky. I'd been working there for like a year. Oh, no pad pen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> table of eight, and no I took, pad I took, pen. I took a table. I think it was like a table of seven and they all got steaks and I fucked up on all their temperatures. <laughs> and I got in so much trouble. Oh, man. And they were all pissed off at me. Some guy got a steak was like fucking medium well done. He wanted it fucking rare and it's just like... Seven steaks, yeah. no pad pen. I'm like 21 years oh, old. Oh, memory bank. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. I got it, boys. Another round of old fashions. Fuck sakes. <laughs> Do you apologize though? Oh yeah, I apologize. I just blamed it on the no, kitchen. No, he blamed it on the kitchen. Yeah, he blamed it on the kitchen. Classic. Blamed yeah. it on the chef. Oh, I don't know. I punched in the right order. Yeah. They must have fucked it up. Well, because yeah. my thing was always like, and, then, I guess, and then you didn't split the tips with the cook, did you? Oh, God. So, okay. So another uh, question I'm curious about is... We work in an era now where there's, I mean, you've obviously heard about this, the chef shortage, where, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chefs are either not entering the industry or vacating very quickly, moving into other forms, probably for a lot of reasons, lack of opportunities, lack of pay, lack of whatever. So is this specific to Vancouver or is this like a country-wide This is a, this is a, this is a, North America. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is an epidemic and I'm, and it's, the industry is changing, you know, and I mean, there's, you know, and. I'm just curious, like, do you have any thoughts on, like, this type of stuff? Like, is this something that you've... Because, I mean, Jeff has 
I'm assuming you're, you're at a, probably at a status now where you probably could get a job anywhere, you know, with your skill set and you could probably, you know, work wherever you want to work. I mean, you know, as long as you can get a visa or something. So, like, I was really fortunate at Mammy's, I would say, like, for the first year, the first year, like, our, our more experienced cooks, they stayed. And, you know, when, even when we had people quit, we had people that were, like we had someone who was who was dishwashing at the time with no cooking experience that we took a chance on and and that like ended up like being a really good decision. You know, we for that first like let's say yeah, year, year and a half, like we I was really fortunate. We didn't really like feel that lack of of cooks that that desperate, you know, kind of situation that I've felt other places, Australia especially. Like, is that some, that's big in Australia? You've seen that before? Oh yeah, like the shortage is really bad there. New York, I was just in New York. It's terrible there. Yeah, San Francisco, I was, I was just there as well. It's like it's, it's pretty bad. Like in all the major cities. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean by terrible? Like, they're just struggling to find guys, or struggling to find good guys? Yeah, both. Probably both. both I would yeah. say, yeah, yeah. yeah I think both go hand in do, hand. So right? when you, when you, Casey, I, Mick, I haven't told you this, but Jeff just came from doing a little bit of a nice trip tour to new york and san francisco oh. but when you're when you're out there when you're talking to people in the industry and talking to people that are chefs like what are they saying to you is there did have they given you any about the shortage yeah like what are they hearing i guess is probably yeah better. so i mean vancouver san francisco and new york all share the extremely high uh, rental prices you know and then just like the difficulty the livability so yeah i mean to give you an idea like in in san francisco even like a a one bedroom or like a, a decent studio is going to run you like almost three thousand dollars, and so like what are you gonna? How it <laughs> doesn't matter like whether you're like eighteen or thirty. It's like you want to you want to start cooking. You want a chef to partie position. You know you're gonna be you're gonna be starting at maybe thirty five thousand a year, maybe forty thousand a year, and in, in San Francisco a bit better than here, but that's still like not kind of like. Like it's still not going to cover your rent pretty like, much. Yeah, that's pretty much all you're barely covering your rent, if that. that yeah, it's like no extra, no money for anything. No money yeah. for phone. No, no money to. So basically, the idea is like a lot of this is coming down to probably you know the economics of the. Of, Did you see that the rental percentage increase now for this coming year is four point five? It's been allotted to four point five fucking percent. So the government is allowing. But why would this they? To why would they like? Why would they want it to go up to four point five percent? I don't get that. I don't want to speak on behalf of like the Vancouver housing and rental scene because I don't know enough about it. But I know that my rent's going up. Well, my rent just went up. And there's no end in sight. And they just keep allowing this to happen. So, I mean, it's creating a, a huger divide and, you know, driving people out of the city. And Yeah. And driving those positions of those people that work in those things that people love dear and near it's like yeah. you live in a city that is beautiful and you have all these nice people and you have all these people who have a lot of money who can live in the city but then those people are going to want to go to restaurants they're going to want to go to cafes well no one's going to yeah. work in them okay, i wish i knew i'm gonna research more so yeah. i have a better answer for next time you ask me that okay so yeah <laughs> i don't want this to be so dire i was just kind of curious but it's the same so. thing in san fran same thing in yeah New York. it's probably where we talk to you yeah it's like it's it's worse than here well san uh, fran i think is number one in in north america for sure and i think in the top 20 in the world for for which afford housing affordability oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like god awful most of the cooks actually in san francisco live outside there they either live in oakland or uh san jose probably or something like that. yeah or like you know super like north they'll, they'll get on like that bart and they'll just like oh man yeah it's like it's like an hour to two hour commute or whatever like, yeah. it's the only way you can like 
make it happen. Otherwise, you're living with like you know maybe eight to ten people like in a in an apartment yeah, or something I, like that. I have a cousin who went down there. I guess maybe six years ago, seven years ago, with the whole tech boom that was happening down there. And he tells me stories of like same thing. They have these like two bedroom three bedroom places that are housing like 20 people and it's kind of like a commune like in and out kind of commune hostel yeah, yeah. situation yeah crazy man i couldn't believe what he told me and you're still paying in and for that situation you're still paying a thousand bucks a month to yeah. not even have your own personal space or a personal private bathroom you guys, just a place where you can actually put your shit while you grind in san fran did it's you, crazy did you guys see the thing on scout this past week i think sean or posted a thing about this woman renting out her camper van in her backyard for seven hundred dollars, <laughs> and I was That's like, crazy. "And you get to, you get to use the washroom inside the inside the apartment." I can cover my deck and but I was like, yeah, rent you it could, out. I bet you, yeah. I bet you, your deck for the summer, you could probably get you know five six hundred bucks. I was yeah. like, "Holy fuck, this is what we're at now seven hundred dollars." Yeah. Do you guys know how damage deposit works in New York City? No. Yeah, so if like if you're in Manhattan and you move there and like you find a job and like you find a place to live and you like think you're like oh good, it's like damage deposit is two months rent. Two months. So you need to come up with two months rent plus like plus your rent up front plus your your rent all up front. What is it here? Half months rent. Half months you know rent. in Toronto it's first and last. First and last. Yeah, so you got to pay first rent and last month. So when I first moved there, when I was like twenty three, I was like, sweet, I've got twelve hundred dollars moving to Toronto and I'm gonna go live with my buddy. And our rent was five hundred bucks. And he's like, I'm like, here, here's your five hundred bucks. He's like, no, I need the thousand because you need to pay first and last. And I was like, fuck, I've only got two hundred dollars. That seems yeah. to me, it's like. I get it. You've become successful. You own a property. I get it. You want to have security. But like, how much money do you need? Like, you know, I mean, like, I guess people rent out places and then they, they, you know, they sketch out or they, whatever. But like, come on, man. You need to have so much money that you can sleep on it. That's what people in this world are going for now. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) Craziness. Yeah, well, it's not changing. No change near in sight. And I, actually, 4.5%. I had read there was going to be a little bit of an ease in the rental market in Vancouver, but it's not happening this year. Coming up for sure. Fucking vision Vancouver. <laughs> Fuck. Didn't we say we, were, we weren't going to like be all like negative on this podcast? I know we're trying not to. <laughs> yeah, we can we can shit on we can shit on Jeff Bezos now. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Because you're right now, you're working at Farmer's Apprentice. That's right. I just yeah. started there. Yeah, you just started there. Yeah, uh, Jeff Gunawan. Or no, David Gunawan. David Gunawan. Yeah. On uh, 4th there, right? It's on Broadway? 4th. 6th? Yeah. What's the food program? Kids Life. What's the food program? I've never been there. Yeah, it's really unique. Yeah, like I said, like I love it. I'm, I'm like I've only been there like, like three days now. So it's like I'm not going to lose it so much. But um, <laughs> they, you know, they come up with like for, for dinner service, they come up with like a basically a new menu nightly something changes on the menu every night sometimes two sometimes three things sometimes like the whole menu will change and they only use produce from local farms year-round so they're like very committed to to that the product is like unbelievable like i i was just staging in at Kami, like a two michelin star restaurant in oakland and was going to work there and like that ended up that opportunity kind of fell through but what happened yeah like i I just kind of i've just started at at farmers and like the product they get at farmers is like better than what you get in like a bay area two michelin star restaurant like so it's like i'm pretty wow. that's that's like the big like biggest takeaway at this point is like wow like everything here is like so good and like and it comes at its peak and so they've got like a meat aging fridge with like just like you know heritage breeds of pork that they've chosen themselves and the other beef from pemberton farms like the like local duck and stuff and so like the proteins are aged to the point where they're perfect and then they're served that night and so um i mean that's the beauty of having a set menu you know having that lack of choice 
and giving the the creative freedom to the kitchen is that, you know, as long as the kitchen has the expertise, they're going to give you the best thing that they have on a night to night basis. And so, yeah, they've, they've been able to pull that off all this time and they've got a good brunch business. They've got a good lunch business. And so I, yeah, I'm pretty excited to be there. Actually. That's like a chef's like kind of wet dream in a way yeah. to just be like giving yourself to free reign to be creative every day and come up with new ideas. And yeah. I feel like that's how, that's how the way things are going and not only our marketplace and society wise, that's how it should be. Like it shouldn't be based on like what, if you want your goddamn tomato basil linguine, it should be what's seasonal and whatever the creativity of the chef is going to put out. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, that's, I mean, that's the ideal thing for it. It's like, okay, it's January. We're not going to get raspberries, but Nah, I mean, man, that, what up the squash and the beets? I know, man. I love that. I, I love that. But then people are assholes. People, people want what they want, and <laughs> yeah. people are like, "No, I want my whatever so so in January." Yeah, and you're gonna make, and also people like knowing that they can go to a restaurant and get the same thing over and over again, which I can understand that point too. Yeah, you know, like and, and like, that's why there should be a variety of different yeah. types of restaurants. I don't think there's just one one good way. I'm, I mean, I'm the same as you. Like sometimes I want to go to a restaurant for the thing that I like. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, you know, at a place like Farmer's Apprentice, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get what the cooks want to give you, and mm-hmm. and you're gonna take your. There's a certain amount of risk in that, but you know, I think both concepts should exist. I think both types of restaurants are great. Uh-huh. So you know. Intriguing. They should both. Would exist. you ever want to open your own restaurant? Yeah. So I mean, that's kind of like. You know, I think what we were kind of getting to earlier for aspirations. I, I, Okanagan is like a very inspiring place. It's I haven't been there in years, actually, but uh, yeah, we just got back from Summerland. You know, we spent some time in Naramata, spent some time in Penticton, and it's just like again, like just like the quality of like the fruit that you get there, being so close to just where like you know the the best ingredients in BC comes from. It's like it's a very inspiring place. You know, Kelowna's blowing up and they've got this tech sector and stuff there. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been kind of have a restaurant plan in the back of my mind and it's, it, it keeps changing, you know, it's like it'll change, I'm sure, like on a weekly basis, you know, but, but yeah, I've, I've got a, I've got a restaurant in mind. I'd, I'd like to do it with a, a group rather than on my own. And I, uh, I think the Okanagan's probably the place. Yeah. I have thought about doing a restaurant before. And then have I really, you? Yeah. Oh, many a time. And then I'm like. Everyone's like, what kind of concept would you do? And I'm like, I have no idea. Jimmy would be like a NBA basketball. Yes. We have burgers shaped like basketballs. <laughs> and uh, The Kobe burger. It's a Kobe themed restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Kobe burger. Kobe well, that fries. One, like, what would the Kobe burger be? <laughs> It'd be called the number eight. <laughs> It'd be yeah. the number eight. Number eight best player of all time. <laughs> hey, you want to start a fight? No, no, no. Yeah. We're not talking about basketball. <laughs> the Steph Curry Curry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. What other ones would there be? What other um, athletes have food names? What about uh, Paul Coffee? Yes, you could serve Paul Coffee. Uh, what be, you got to have one for LeBron though. The LeBron wet diaper. The Wet diaper. I don't know. Whatever. The wet diaper. Yeah. Oh, you call it a wet diaper. The crybaby diaper <laughs> the, burger. The, the crybaby dessert would be perfect for him. Oh wow! You don't like, like lemon LeBron? meringue pie. I love LeBron James. I respect him. I don't like him as a person, as a basketball player, as a person. I, I respect the. Hey, did you did you see this weekend's uh, women's final, the U.S. Open? No, no, I don't want to talk oh, about man. that. No, I don't talk but about that. But you obviously that. heard about it. I heard about it. I Ooh. saw it with the sound off. Oh, I watched it live. Oh, it's awkward. Did you see this? No. Ooh. We'll leave it at that. Jeff, we want to say thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure learning about your career and your life as a chef, and uh, 
you know, we wish you all the best in your future endeavors and you know, working at Farmer's Apprentice. Go check him out down there. He makes delicious food. And Mick, always nice chatting with you as well. And for all you listeners out there, do find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Rate us. Pass us along to your friends. I have a new column that just went out today on Medium. So if you're looking to read some stuff of mine... You today, really? Yeah, it went out today. Huh. So Usually you, you send me a link to all your stuff. Yeah. I sent you just one. I think you read this one a couple days ago. I just haven't posted it. Ah, uh, oh, so, uh, yes. inside. Yes. Inside I, I posed the idea, is there the idea of having Netflix for restaurants? Is that something that could potentially be? And that talks about theory and then talking about, you know, everything as a service. So is, is the restaurant model moving in that direction or is it one day going to be in that direction? So I like to I look into that and I kind of have a little bit of a fun with that article. So if you're looking to read some stuff, check that out as well on Medium. Go read it. Yes. And... We'll talk to you soon. Have a good day.